example. Sorry for my granddaughter, Emma. Her pants have holes in them. (laughs) Who would have ever thought? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Isn't he wonderful? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we serve a wonderful God. He's so wonderful. Words can't express how wonderful he is. What I want to talk with you today about is There's no limits with God. The limits come with us. We put the limits on God. And, and so often those, those limits that we place upon him, it's a direct result of our ignorance. A direct result of the fact that we, or of the fact that we don't, truly have a revelation, a realization of what Jesus truly accomplished for us. And so we begin to focus upon the circumstances around us and we begin to look at situations and we see them as as impossible. And they are impossible to us, but with God all things are possible. He's he's an unlimited God. But what we do is we begin to to put limits on him. You know, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, you know, God doesn't just simply bring you out to leave you in limbo. God leads us out to lead us in. The children of Israel were not supposed to. The intent, the the plan of God, the purpose of God for them was not for them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. That was not God's plan for them. I mean, they were just a matter of days from, from the promised land. But because they limited God, because They allowed themselves to have small thinking because they began to look at themselves and and depend upon their own abilities. They didn't enter in, and for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. Now thank God for his redemption, because even though they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they missed it, they still eventually were able to enter in. Because God didn't have another plan for them. They entered in. But oftentimes, we limit God, and as a result of that, we, we don't enter into what He has truly made available to us. You know, in the Scriptures, we have the account of, of Joshua and Caleb and the others, how they went in and they, they spied out the land. The Bible says that they came in, uh, they came back with an evil report. And the report that they came back with was evil because it was contrary to what God had told them to do. 
in the eyes of God, evil, or let me rephrase that, in the eyes of God, doubt and disbelief is evil. And it isn't because we're evil people when we do that, but it's evil from the standpoint that God's will isn't going to be accomplished to its full intent in our lives when we begin to look at circumstances, when we begin to look at everything else and we begin to get our eyes off of Him. And I know we talk about this a lot, but it is so important that we, we, we have the Word of God in front of us, that we meditate on the Word of God, that we dwell upon the Word of God, that we renew our minds by the Word of God because it's only that renewing of our mind that will keep us focused so that we'll walk in the, in the victory that's truly ours. We settle. We settle for so much less than what God has truly made available to us and what he desires for us in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers, the 13th chapter. We're going to begin in the 26th verse. And so, they had just gotten the command from God through Moses that they were, go, they were to go in and they were spy, to spy out the land. Now, in the instructions that was given to them, there was absolutely nothing within those instructions that they were, they were to go into the land and determine whether or not they could defeat, whether or not they could conquer the enemy. That wasn't, that wasn't part of the command. The command was go into the land and see if it isn't a land flowing with milk and honey as I said it would be. And so they went in and they spied out the land and the land was a, 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 a prosperous land, an abundant land, a land that flowed with milk and honey. They brought back product with them that they, they, they harvested in, the, in, in that country. And when they came back, I mean, <clears throat> the grapes, they had to carry it between two of them. I, I, I've never seen a grape vine or a cluster of grapes that you had to put it on a stick between the two of you so that you could carry it. But that's how abundant it was. And so <clears throat> it says in the 26th verse, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the uh, congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of uh, Paran and, and at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. If they would have only stopped there. But you know what? We do the same thing. We don't stop <laughs> when we should have stopped. We carry on. We move on. And it says, nevertheless, or we would say, but. Let me tell you something. 
those buts will get you into more trouble. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebites and the Ammonites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the bank of the Jordan. In other words, they've got some armies. Guess what? God didn't say, check out the armies. He said, check out the land. Check out what I've promised you. Check out what I've made available to you. And you know what? Through his word, through his promises, through his grace, he's, he's told us, check out what I've made available to you. Check out what I've provided for you. But what do we do? We begin to cancel out what we checked out because of the circumstances around it. And so what we do is we, we begin to limit God because the enemy is too big. Well, the enemy may be too big for us, but it's not too big for God. Because he's told us that if we will put our confidence, our trust in his word, he'll never leave us or forsake us. He'll never turn us aside. God hasn't forgotten about you just because there appears to be a big enemy staring you in the face. Because God's bigger than that enemy. Then in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able, well able to overcome it. Come on, let's go. Let's take the land. We are well able. Why? In their ability? No. Caleb knew it wasn't in their ability. It was in God's ability. Listen to me. I don't care what your issue is. I don't care what your struggle is. And you feel incapable of overcoming it. God's bigger. Because we're not to be dwelling upon the circumstance. We're not to be looking at the situation. We're to have our eyes fixed on him. Well, pastor, you're one of those preachers that think we're supposed to stick our head in the sand and just ignore everything that's going on and just, just deny reality. Caleb wasn't telling them to deny the reality because they saw reality. He was telling them, what are you going to trust in? Who are you going to trust in? What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the word that God has given you? Are you going to believe the word that the world is screaming at you? Because see, ultimately that's what it really is. This world around us is screaming at us. It's telling us, well, number one, it's telling us that God isn't even real. But of course, he's not, they're not going to convince us of that. Amen. 
And so the next thing that he does, he tries to convince us, the world tries to convince us that God's not big enough for my situation because my situation is an exception. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what it appears to look like ahead of you. Somebody has already made it through it because they put their confidence in God. And God is well able, well able to take us through to the very end. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. True. That's true. They were stronger. But let me tell you something. If you're not willing to come up against some difficult obstacles, if you dwell on what you see with your physical eyes, you know, our uh, 13 and under soccer team are all 11 and 12 year olds, I think. We don't have a 13 year old, do we? But they're playing 13 year olds. A couple weeks ago, we played Ankeny, fastest growing community in Iowa. We played their 13 and under soccer team and we beat them. Yes. Four zip. Wasn't it four? Five zip. Well, yesterday, well, we're consistent then. <laughs> yesterday we played Johnston. Big boys. Big boys. Five nothing. You see our little guys out there, they're just, they're just these little guys. <laughs> and the ones they're up against are these, these big guys. And our little guys are, it's almost like they're running between their legs. And uh, we're whipping them. I mean, I, I remember the first game we went to, I, I thought, We're gonna get killed. I mean, they're, they're big. They, you know, when, when we played Anchor, they looked, they looked really good. And uh, we beat them. You know, the first half it was 0-0 zero, zero at halftime. We come back in the second half and they, they realize something. We didn't play with these big boys. I'll tell you something. The world says, this is really big. It's got really big problems. It's got really big issues. But guess what? We can play with the big boys. We can whoop the big boys. Why? Because just like our soccer team, we've got a good coach. Amen. <laughs> just had to throw that in there. <clears throat> 
But see, we're well able. But it's not according to our ability. It's according to our God. It's according to what he's done and he's already told us. See, we have, we have this advantage. The victory has already been declared. We merely have to walk it out. In the world, if you, if you play a game that way, you're gonna, get, you're gonna get whooped because you're overconfident. But see, our confidence is not in ourselves. And see, where we get into difficulty, into problems, is we begin to trust ourselves. We begin to have confidence in ourselves. We begin to have confidence in our own ability. And when we don't have that, everything looks impossible around us. But God is the one. He's the unlimited one that we can trust completely. And he's already declared the victory is yours. The victory belongs to you. And so Caleb says, come on, guys. Let's go defeat. Let's take this enemy on. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Oh, this world we live in, it'll devour you. Well, let me tell you something. This world we live in, it'll devour you. But not when we put our trust and our confidence in God. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature, giants. The issues, the problems are huge. They have great stature, but God's bigger. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Nanak uh, came from the giants. And we were, listen to this terminology. I know you've heard it before, but listen to it again. There were giants in the land. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Notice where it begins. It begins from your viewpoint. It begins how we see things. So the question is, what glasses, what lenses are we looking through? Are we looking through the lenses of the world? Because when we look through the lenses of the world, it looks hopeless. But when we look through the lens of the Word of God, all of a sudden, everything looks completely different. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sights. And so we were in their sight. How the world sees you begins with you. If you see yourself 
as defeated, that's how the world's going to see you. You know, these boys, they go out on that field and the other team, they look pretty confident because what are these little grasshoppers going to do to us? The problem is, is these little grasshoppers see themselves as giants. They see themselves as overcomers. They see themselves as having the, the ability to, uh, to play with these guys and to not just simply play with them, they see themselves as being able to defeat them. See, <clears throat> defeat doesn't start out here. Defeat starts in here. You may lose a game, but nobody can defeat you. You know, when we're talking about sports, I don't know about you, you know, people say, well, it's not whether you win or lose, it, it matters, it's how you play the game. That comes from somebody that has never won a game. Because if you've played a game and you've won and you've lost, winning is always better. But you know what? You can be a winner and still be a loser. And you can be a loser on the scoreboard and still be a winner. Because it comes from within. And that's how it is in the kingdom of God. Our victory doesn't start out here someplace. Our victory starts right here. Because we're not moved by what we see. We're moved by what we know. And what we know is that God will never leave us, will never fail us. With God, there is no defeat. With God, there is only victory. With God, I'm an overcomer, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. My faith in what? My faith in the completed works of Jesus. I may not see the manifestation of it yet, but you know what? I still walk in the victory of it because it belongs to me through the completed works of Jesus. It's not about me, it's about Jesus and about what he has accomplished in each of our lives. Let's go on to Numbers 14. Verse one. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation saw, said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. You know what happens? Is if you, if you listen to that junk, if you focus on that junk long enough, you'll return to the garbage heap. The Bible puts it this way, that the dog will return to its vomit. 
You know what the old days were? It was a pile of vomit. Well, pastor, that's not very appealing. Well, I hope not. Because there's a whole lot of people that think the good old days were the good old days. But let me tell you something, the good old days weren't that good. And so what happens? Well, if we, could, if we would have only stayed in Egypt, you were a slave. You were starving to death. They were beating you to death. You had no hope. You had no future. But you're looking at the circumstances and your vision is being messed up. You're looking through the wrong lens and what you're seeing is not accurate. And so what we need to do is begin to see things accurately. And the way we see that is through the lens of the Word of God. Let's drop down to the sixth verse, still in Numbers 14. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, uh, the son of uh, Japheneth, I, I don't know why they have to, why, why can't they be Smith or Jones or something? Who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an excellent, good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey. <clears throat> I want to be Joshua this morning. I want to be Caleb to you this morning. And I want to cry out to you and say, the land flows with milk and honey. The kingdom of God, what God has made available to you is above and beyond anything that you could ever ask or think or imagine. And it's not up, up about you. It's not up to you. It's God who has provided it for you. And he's given us the assurance. He's given us the promise in his word. And now it's laid before us. What am I going to choose to believe? Am I going to choose to believe the circumstances? Or am I going to choose to believe the word of God? Dropping all the way down to verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. it took him 40 years because of the people around him. There may be days you feel like you're just hanging out with a bunch of turkeys. Call Pastor Harold, he'll shoot it for you. See that thing he got? But you know what? Caleb did not allow his environment to influence him. It says that Caleb 
had a different spirit. He had a different spirit because he put his trust, he put his confidence completely in God. He focused on God, and so did Joshua. And so as a result of that, it increased their capacity to believe God. Rather than dwell on the circumstances, they dwelt upon the promise, the word of God that had been given to them that said, go and possess the land. Jesus has done all that he's going to do. He's provided everything that we will ever need for life and godliness. But we need to possess it. That means we need to say, that belongs to me, that's mine. My Jesus provided that for me. And I'm not gonna allow anyone or anything to take it from me, to steal it from me. Ephesians, the third chapter. We're going to begin reading in the, in the 15th verse. Let's just start in the 14th. For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom, from our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the richness of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, <clears throat> not just abundantly, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. I don't know about you, I can think, I can think pretty big. I can imagine really big. And God says, exceedingly, abundantly, above my ability to imagine. That's how God wants to bring blessing into my life. Whoa. And not just my life, all of our lives. We're small thinkers. We don't think big. We allow the world to steal us of our imagination. Your imagination 
isn't a curse. Your imagination is a blessing from God. And he wants to expand our imagination. He wants to expand our ability to succeed, to be a success in every area of our life. But it isn't as we just do it in our own strength and our ability. It's through him. As we focus upon the word, we, we're, like, we're like Caleb's. We have a different spirit. I just, if I watch five minutes of the news, I've done really, really, really well. Because I can't, I can't handle it. Oh, it's not that it produces fear in my life. I just, I just, I just can't handle stupid people. And it's all negative. And so if it's all negative, how can it possibly be God? Because my God is positive. My God, everything that he imparts into my life is positive. And it's not there to just simply be a blessing to me, which it is. But it's to be a blessing to those around me. Our God is a positive God and he imparts positive blessings into our lives. And so what are we focusing on? Well, CNN, Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS. We don't have to worry about CBS right now because we got Dish and they've been out forever. You know what? <clears throat> I made it through the NCAA tournament without watching it and I left. I made it through the Masters without being able to watch it because it was on CBS, and I survived. Guess what? We can survive without what the world has to offer us. Because our survival is based on what Jesus has done for us. You know, in Mark, the fourth chapter, we have Jesus sharing the parable about the seed and the sower. And we know how in that account he talks about the word as being the seed that's to be sown in our hearts. And, you know, we have the, the seed that was sown on the roadside that uh, the birds came immediately and stole it away, and that's how the enemy wants to work in our lives, he said, you know, <clears throat> that's why on your way home from church today, you know, will be the greatest temptation to fight that you have all week long. Because the enemy wants to get you distracted from the word. He wants to get you focused upon a circumstance so that that seed can be stolen out of your heart so that it won't produce. So some of the seed fell on the roadside, it was taken immediately. Some fell upon the rocky soil. 
it, it sprung up, but it had no opportunity to take root. Some fell upon, among the thorns. The thorns choked it out. And some of the seed fell upon good soil. And the soil produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Do you realize that none of us have been predestined to be 30 folders? We're all to be a hundred folders. Doesn't quite sound right in the English language, does it? <clears throat> but that, that's what we're supposed to be because that's his will for us. But what we do with our heart, what we do with the seed that's sown, that's planted in our heart, is going to determine what we produce. Are we going to produce a bountiful harvest or are we going to just kind of squeak into heaven. I don't want to squeak into heaven. I don't want to just barely get my toe in to open the door open so that I can squeeze through. I want to, I want to enter into heaven with joy. I want to enter into heaven knowing that I've fulfilled, accomplished what God has called for me to fulfill and accomplish here on the earth. You see, the kingdom of God doesn't begin when we get to heaven. It's begun right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the kingdom of God unto yourself. And so we're to begin to manifest those abundant blessings right now. Let me read this account. It's in Mark, the second chapter or excuse me, the fourth chapter, second verse, and it says, Then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell upon by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seeds fell upon the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced 30-fold, 60-fold, and a hundredfold. And he says in the ninth verse, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so you know what that's telling us? You can hear or not hear. Everybody in one way or another heard me read that scripture. But some didn't hear it. They heard the words, but they didn't hear it. You know, one of my greatest, well, one of my wife's greatest frustrations about me is I don't, I don't hear so good. And it's not, it's not selective hearing, but I don't, I don't always hear what she's saying. She gets so tired of hearing, huh? 
What? But you know, it's an interesting thing that when she's going to say something, and I'm aware she's not enjoying the story, I'm hearing what she's saying without her saying a word. <clears throat> but if I'll focus, even though a lot of times, you know, what I hear is, well, what do you mean? You know, there, there's restaurants we don't go to because through the whole conversation, what I hear is, well, you That's what I hear. But if I, if I focus upon her, and I, I focus on her lips and the movement and, and, and really block out everything else that's going on, I hear words come out of her mouth. So as I read that scripture today, some of you heard, why? Because you weren't focusing on me. You weren't focusing on the Word of God. Some of you, when you read your daily reading, what you hear is because you're fulfilling your daily obligation. And so you're not focusing on the Word. You see, for that seed to produce in our hearts, we have to be purposeful. Is that a word? I thought it was a word. We have to be purposeful. We have to approach it with a purpose. And the purpose is to get the seed, to plant it in my heart, so that it produces a hundredfold. Well, you know, if I can get 60, I'll be happy. And all the, all the farmers chuckled because they know I'm not going to settle for 60 when I can get 100. And they're just talking about corn and beans. We're talking about eternal life. And so there needs to be a determination that we need to purpose that that seed is going to produce in my life. The thorns, the rocks. That's what the world is to us. The enemy's number one, you know, he, he knows you're saved. So he knows you're going to spend eternity in heaven. But he wants to do is make your life so completely miserable in the process that number one, your life will be miserable. And number two, who would want what you got? Because you know what? Our life is the only testimony or is the only epistle that some people are ever going to read. And when we live the victorious life, let me tell you, the easiest way to witness to somebody is when they come up to you and they say, I don't know what it is, but you've got something. I need it. What is it? And you're able to say, it's Jesus. That, that's the easiest witnessing. 
the most difficult witnessing you'll ever do is to try to share with somebody that doesn't want to hear anything you have to say. But when they want, they see something that you have and they want it, everything changes. And so the world, the devil, they want to do is discourage you, to keep you down, to keep you defeated, to keep you negative, to keep you hopeless. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, hopelessness is death. If you have no hope in your life, everything around you deteriorates. You have no focus, you have no direction. It's where the enemy wants us, that's where the world will take you. And that's what the flesh will revert back to. You know, this, this, this life that we have in Jesus, he's done it all. But there is effort that is necessary on our part because everything around us wants to pull us away, to take us downstream, to take us in the opposite direction that we want to go. And you know what? It'll happen that quick. And so we have to be focused upon the Word of God. I know as a grace preacher, I'm not supposed to say you have to. But you have to. Your, your, your spiritual life is dependent upon the Word of God and the reality of it in your life. We're dependent upon Him. In Mark, the fourth chapter, the 24th verse, and I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. He said to them, Be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. Be careful of what you're hearing. Be careful of what you're hearing because whether we want to acknowledge or not, everything we hear has an impact upon our life. Well, you know, Pastor, I know how to shut it out and it just doesn't bother me. Well, you're, you're special. Because every one of us, other human beings, those things that we hear have an impact upon our lives. We need to guard what we hear because what we hear is what's going to produce what comes out of us. Psalms 78, verse 41. Listen to this. Remember the title of the message? No Limits. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited 
the Holy One of Israel. How'd they tempt God? They doubted him. Again and again, they doubted God. And it says, they limited him. We were talking about this on Wednesday night, how Jesus, in his earthly ministry, how he went to his hometown. And the Bible says that when he got there, he was only able to, the literal translation says, he was only able to heal a few minor ailments, a few sick folk. Why? Because they limited him. They wouldn't believe that surely the carpenter's son can't lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And so they limited him. How often have we limited God? How often have we looked at it and we said, yes, God, that may work for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. Lord, I, I've, been, I've been too bad. God will never do it in my life. Well, once again, you're looking at yourself. You're not looking at the completed works of Jesus. You're not realizing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, not because of your effort, but because of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You're justified in the eyes of God. It's just as if you've never sinned. And so we need to look to Him and trust Him. But you know, the moment that we begin to look to the world and trust the world, we're pulled in that direction because it's, it's so appealing. Why is it so appealing? Why? Because it, it draws on the flesh. We all know that when we were born again, it was the spirit man that was born again. Our minds have to be renewed. The flesh has to be crucified. The problem with the flesh is it keeps resurrecting. But you know what? We have to continually put it down and say, no, I'm going to follow after Jesus. The more we do that, I believe the easier it becomes, but it never comes to the point where we don't have to deal with the flesh any longer. As long as we live in it, we're going to have to deal with it. And the things of this world appeal to the flesh. It's a lie, it's deception, but the flesh wants it. But we say no. Because we have a different spirit. We have the Holy Ghost that lives and resides on the inside of us to empower us to resist every temptation that will come our way. But it isn't as we live and dwell upon the temptation, it's as we live and dwell upon the completed works of Jesus. And we realize Jesus did it all for me so that I might live the victorious life. The victorious life is yours. It belongs to you. Jesus came. Jesus died. 
Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Jesus is coming back for you. And each and every one of us, we must recognize it as a personal thing. Yes, he's coming back for us, but I've got to know it's for me. When I know it's for me, I begin to live and reside in that victory. Came that we might have life. Now we not just simply have an okay life. Came that we might have an abundant life. And we find that in Jesus. Amen? Father, we just thank you for your word that it's alive. And Father, I declare that that seed has been planted today, that we're going to protect that seed, we're going to nurture that seed, that seed is going to grow and it's going to produce, and we're going to experience the hundredfold return. And with that hundredfold return, we'll have more than enough so that we can be a blessing to others that it'll no longer all be about me, but it'll be about what I can do to further your kingdom. Father, that's why we're here. We're here to further your kingdom. We want you lifted up. We want you glorified. And we want you to have your way. And so we thank you for, your, for the guidance of your precious Holy Spirit. We give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace and his strength. Go in his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. Give somebody a hug to let them know you love them.